So, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of all ages, amen. So, I thought today we would talk about security. What makes us feel secure and what makes us feel insecure? What makes us feel safe? And what makes us feel like our safety is compromised? What makes us feel like something isn't right? And you know, I'm not the first person to, to think about this or to talk about this. The people who are well-versed in psychology know a lot more about this than I do. But um, a, a guy named Maslow described the hierarchy of needs. You know, and the most basic needs are our physiological needs, you know, the, you know, the needs for, air, for water and food and shelter and so on. But, but the, next, the next set of needs, the next thing that we need the most is to feel safe, to feel secure, to feel personal security, to feel security in our employment and our health in regards to our property, to feel like we're not threatened. And these, these two very basic needs, physiological needs and needs for safety, are oftentimes the, the areas in which we begin to feel insecure. And then as we go up, the insecurities become more complex. But even the very base of the pyramid oftentimes is what people talk to me about their feelings of insecurity. Right? And Helen Keller, uh, who is an American uh, poet and author and writer who is both hearing and vision impaired and was the first person who was both hearing and vision impaired to get a Bachelor of Arts, says that security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience, of it. experience it. Whoa! That sounds like a very frightful statement. Are you serious? There's nothing called security. There's nothing called safety. Well, and she's a very smart woman and she seems to think so. And we do all kinds of things to help ourselves feel safe and to feel secure. And some of them, you know, there's research and data to show that they do improve our safety. But does that necessarily ensure security? You know, we wear seat belts, uh, we have airbags in our cars, we drive with our daytime driving lights on when we go cycling. We wear a helmet, we wear reflective gear, we have little bells on our bikes, LED lights that are flashing. When people at work wear safety belt, vests and boots and goggles and hard hats, right? And, 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 and stuff to cover their ears if they're using loud machinery. Uh, you know, we have fire exits indicated, uh, fire suppression tools and, you know, and, and fire hydrants and all these things, all these different kinds of things to help us to improve our safety and to help us to improve our security. So is Helen Keller right? Are we doing all of this for nothing? The lifetime risk of getting hit by a car if you walk out of your house is between three to 5% in North America. What do we do to improve our safety in that? We look left and right and we try to listen to what our parents taught us, but what, what more do we do? Not much. And are we actually safe? Are we actually secure? Are we actually in control? Or do we really not actually have that much control at all? The, the, the Transportation Security Administration agents actually failed, like the, the airport security people that drive us all crazy, they failed to catch 95% of the concealed weapons that the people who were there to test them were bringing through security in 2016. And in Minnesota airport in Minneapolis, very similar statistics. So we endure these safety measures and we all, you know, we all do this 
But are we actually really safe? Are we actually really secure? Is it actually that easy to bring, you know, weapons onto an airplane? Are any of you going to stop flying because of this slide? I don't know. I hope not. Right? What do we do and how do we cope with this? And these are simple, these are very simple, concrete examples. But on a personal level, it gets much it gets much deeper. What makes you feel secure? If I ask you right now, do you feel secure or not? What would you say? Yes or no? And how would you answer that question? Based upon what? What would you say? What would you say? Yes, I feel secure because of. No, I don't feel secure because of. How do you answer that question? What does security mean to you? What foundation is your identity built on? That's the question that we're asking. Is your foundation secure or not? Jesus talked about this. I honestly think, and a big take-home message of today is that I honestly think whether you believe in God or you don't, whether you love God or you don't, whether you're Christian or you're of another Abrahamic religion or you're of a, you know, or of a Southeastern, uh, Southeastern Asian religion or no religion at all or some, if you follow some philosophy or you don't follow anything. I honestly think that Jesus' teachings are good common sense and they actually address this issue for everybody, regardless of where, where you're coming from. Jesus says, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of after he's been preaching, the most beautiful preaching that has ever happened, the most beautiful teaching, the most beautiful words ever spoken by a human being. He says this, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings, I will show you, and here's my sayings, and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the, and the stream beat vehemently against that house, it could not shake it for it was founded on the rock. Jesus says something. He identifies something. The house which is founded on the rock doesn't get killed by the storms. The house which is founded on the rock doesn't get killed by the storms, but it weathers the storm. What does it mean that it's founded on the rock? It means that the foundation wasn't just laid. The foundation was dug deep. They kept digging and digging and digging until they, until they founded it on rock, on something solid. It doesn't mean that the foundation was not properly constructed. No, the foundation in both in both houses built on the rock built on the sand jesus gives a comparison right does a little compare and contrast both of them the foundation was built well the house was built well everything was built well but one of them the foundation was built on rock what's jesus talking about first he says why do you call me lord lord and not do the things that i say 
This is a trap that a lot of us fall into, whether it's the teachings of Jesus or whether it's good advice or whether it's a New Year's resolution or whether, you know, we decide we want to lose some weight. So we research the best ways to do that. We decide we want to improve our sleep hygiene. So we research a bunch of ways to do that. We, we decide we want to, we decide we want to, you know, save more than, we're, than, than we spend usually. So we research a bunch of ways to do that. And we come up with all this great advice and we listen to the gurus and the advice that given is great and then we get up from our laptop we get up from our computer we get up from our phone from our tablet from whatever device we were reading on and we continue with our merry lives exactly the way we were before and nothing changes Jesus is telling us why do you why are you listening to me and you're nodding your heads and you're saying yeah yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. But you're not doing anything. One point, St. John Chrysostom, who's a patriarch of Constantinople in the 4th century, early 5th century, realized he was a phenomenal preacher. He was so amazing that they named him of the Golden Mouth. The, his name was Archbishop John, and Chrysostom, Stom, Stoma, Mouth, Chryso Gold of the Golden Mouth, who's such a phenomenal preacher. He was an orator. I mean, you read you read his 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 sermons now, translated, and they're phenomenal. They're absolutely, you know, they're an easy read, and he just he just convinces you. He's so slick, you know. And so at the end of his sermon, you'd commonly get a standing ovation. People stand and clap for minutes. They would clap and clap and clap and clap. But he realized nobody's doing what he's teaching. I mean, he's a pastor. He's a father. He wants the well-being of his people. So the next week, he decided he was going to preach exactly the same sermon. Zero novelty factor. Exactly, word for word, same script, same points, everything. Everybody stands up and starts clapping and another standing ovation. And he says, that's it. Why are you clapping? I'm telling you, you're sinners. I'm telling you, you have to repent. I'm telling you, you're going to hell if you don't stop. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Who are you clapping for? And he just says, that's it. I'm not preaching anymore until you do something different. Because it's not, we're not here for entertainment, he tells them. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not your entertainer. I'm not here to keep you busy. I'm not here to fill your Sunday afternoon. I'm not here so that it can become the talk of the town. Did you see the show? I'm here to give you life. I'm here to give you life. And you are dying. You have terminal cancer. And the cure for your cancer is right there. And you're, you're clapping for the cure. Dude, take it. You're going to die. He's telling them. And they're clapping. Very nice. Oh, yeah. It's, it's excellent research. And world acclaimed. I mean, the guy got a Nobel Prize and, and that, you know, and philosophizing about it. And that's what we do, you know, when we take scripture, we take Jesus's teachings and we translate them back in. We, we got them in English. We translate them back into Greek. I do this all the time, a word study. And we sit and we pontificate about the whole thing. And we spend all afternoon, you know, relishing in it. One day, I'll tell you a funny story, which is a little bit humbling, you know, so don't laugh at me. Um, I had the opportunity to serve once a, a, as a missionary, just, just for a month, filling in for some missionaries who had left. And so I was in a monastery by myself with this monk. 
The monk's job was to keep up the monastery. So he didn't do any mission. He didn't do any outreach. He just was taking care of the monastery. He was planting vegetables and doing things and feeding me. And, and he was an extremely holy man. Like he had the gift of clairvoyance. He, could, he would answer your question before you asked it kind of thing, you know. And um, so one day I asked him, you know, uh, Father Abdul Messi, why is it that sometimes I can hear the voice of God loud and clear, and sometimes I can't. And he looked at me, he goes, you know why? Because God tells you to do something, but you love to hear the voice of God. Everything he said was perfectly true of me. Maybe it's not true of you, but it was perfectly true of me. You relish in the voice of God. The voice of God is like music to your ears. I told him it is. It's like the most beautiful sound on the face of the earth. You know, I could just sit and listen to the voice of God all day. He says, that's the problem. God doesn't want to be music to your ears. He wants to be instructions for life. He doesn't want you to sit and listen and say, yeah, that's really what we should do in the mission. That's, that, that's great. And you sit on the couch. That's great that you appreciate it and you love it and you enjoy it. Now get up and do it. And he's not going to tell you step two before you've done step one. Step one is already so overwhelming. Imagine if he told you step two and step three, you, you would die, you know? So he just gives you step one, and when you do it, he'll give you step two. And when you do that, he'll give you step three. It was the best advice I got. It was perfect, the perfect advice for me. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? If I'm your Lord, I'm your master. If I'm your teacher, why aren't you doing what I'm saying? That's the first thing he says. This is all in the context of people asking him this question. Why is it that your disciples don't wash their hands in the ceremonial fashion before they eat and this and that? So Jesus answers them and he says to them, Isaiah spoke well of you that you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far away from me. That's what God is talking about here. Isaiah says, you hypocrites, Isaiah, Jesus is telling them, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain and their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus is telling us something. If we want to figure out this security thing, if we want to figure out this foundation thing, it's going to take more doing and less I don't know, God forgive me, like Bible study. It's gonna take getting up off of our rear ends, get rolling up our sleeves, you know, and getting, getting our hands dirty in our own lives and in the lives of others, in our own relationship with God and in our relationship with our neighbor. That's what it's gonna take. Not more listening, not more pontificating, right? If you feel like these words are a bit harsh, but these words are really directed at you, you're great at listening to a podcast uh, you know, on your way to work and a sermon on your way home and you've got all this stuff memorized and you, but you, you feel like you don't actually do very much. You're a listener. You're an excellent listener, but you don't do very much. Be encouraged. The psalmist in Psalm 78, whoever wrote the psalm, says about the people of Israel in the desert that they gave God such a hard time. They drove him crazy. They complained about everything possible 
you know, under the face of the earth, on, under, the, under the sun, you know, on the face of the earth, they complained about absolutely everything, right? And, it, and, and then he says, but, but, but all they gave him was lip service. They lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They did not keep his covenant. That's what they did. So what should God do with them? What should he do with them? The next couple of verses tell us what God does with them. He was merciful and forgave their sins. Many times he held back his anger, for he remembered that they are merely mortal men. God is very compassionate. He gives them an excuse. He says, but they're just, they're mere mortals. Like, they're doing their best. You know, they're doing their best. And he looks at you and he looks at me as we listen to our sermons on our way to work or on our way to school and our podcasts on our way home. And we do all this listening and we do all this and we know all this Christianese and all this Christian, all this Christian lingo, but we don't do very much. And he makes excuses for us. He says, it's okay. But, the, the, you know, on the cross, Jesus does the same thing. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he says that about you and about me. Our God is not a God of guilt. And I'm not here to guilt you. I'm just here to, to give a little bit of a, a wake-up call to you and most of all to me. That, and we're going to see this, it's good, it's good to hear. It's, it's imperative to hear. But it's also imperative to do. So Jesus breaks it down for us. He says, whoever comes to me, hears my sayings, and does them. Three things is what digging a deep foundation is. Digging a deep foundation equals comes to me, hears my sayings, and does them. That's what Jesus is saying, right? And that deep foundation, why does he say come to me? Why does he say go to the Father? Why doesn't he say, because in another part of scripture, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This rock that God wants us to, to build our lives on is the rock of truth. Right? And we could like make it super religious and so on, but I don't want to go there. I just want to keep it really plain and simple. I just want to keep it really common sense. Like anybody at the bus stop can understand this. If you found your, your, your decisions on something which is not true, you're not guaranteed what the outcome is. I know there's gravity. It's like a truth. Okay, maybe like in space there isn't whatever, but in this like in this space there's gravity. So I know that if I drop this in my glass of water, you know, this electronic device is going to get ruined because there's this thing called gravity that's going to bring it from my hand where I dropped it into the glass of water, right? And I and I and, and that's pretty reliable. Like you know, I, I bet you if I tried it ten times, ten out of ten times, you know, the device is going to fall out of my hand into the glass of water. So I can, I can, that's reliable information, but how I feel about it, how I feel about it or what I, or, or what I, what I, what I think of it, that's something else. That's something else. And that's not a constant. It's not something that's constant. It's not, it's something, it's shifting sand. It's not a bedrock of truth and you know there's kind of this, this there's this funny thing like how do we make our decisions there's three different things there's fact and there's faith and there's feeling but we oftentimes turn it on its head and we do the things that we feel and then we do the things that we believe 
And the last thing we do is go and try to find out whether they're actually true or not. Like I've got about 10 friends. It's a great time to be watching what you eat these days in our community because like almost half of our community is like, I don't eat this, I don't eat that. It's great to eat out with everybody. Like, you know, half of us are on air and water, right? It's a fantastic, but everybody's doing some different dynamics. I read this and I heard this and I, and this works for me. And like, okay, guaranteed, like different things work for different people and all of that. Sure, no problem. But like, has anyone went and looked at like any scientific evidence on what's, what this is based on? Or maybe talked to an expert, like a registered dietitian who actually knows what they're talking about and has done the research. Has, are, we, are we looking at the facts? Or we just read something or is it just whoever shouts the loudest is the rightest that's the world we live in now saint anthony said that was going to happen that it was just going to turn into a shouting match and it really didn't matter whether you're right or wrong it just mattered how loud you could be what pulls your train fact or feeling are the decisions that you and i make are they founded on truth? Not necessarily scriptural truth or whatever. Yes, sure, scripture is great, Bible's great, Jesus is awesome. But are they founded in truth? Are they just founded on what you what we woke up feeling that morning? I'll tell you a lot of the feel a lot of the decisions I make and my behaviors that that ensue as a consequence are just based on how I woke up feeling that morning. I can guarantee that I'm gonna get a mixed bag of results. Jesus is telling us, dig deep. Come to me. I am the truth. Hear what I have to say. I want to tell you why I think it's probably of enormous value for everybody on the face of the earth to listen to what Jesus has to say. Because Jesus teaches us good common sense. Jesus says things that if you stopped for a minute Okay, stop for a minute and be devil's advocate and think that Jesus has some kind of crazy ulterior motive and try to figure out what it is. Like he, he's trying to screw you. You know what I mean? He's trying to pull a fast one on you. So he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where no, uh, ne nor, neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is saying that anything, any goods that you have, we're talking, like, we're, we're talking here like literally, okay? No, no fancy, you know, metaphorical, allegorical, you know, you know Bible interpretation. Just, just totally like, you know, black on white or white on black, right? The goods that you got in life, if they are valuable to you, you should put them somewhere safe where they're not going to get ruined by things of the natural world, and nobody's gonna steal them. Back in the day, my parents had a safety deposit box at the bank, you know? I don't know if anybody still does that. I don't have anything that valuable. You know, for, I, went, I, went, I went about seven years without locking my front door because I figured there's nothing here that anyone would wanna steal, and if they want it that bad, they can have it. Like, Jesus, this isn't theft. If they want my underwear, my socks, or my laptop that hardly works, they can have it, you know, go, you know, it's not theft, Lord, don't count it against them. It's not a sin, you know, let them have whatever they want, right? But back in the day, I don't know, my parents, I guess, had stuff, you know, right? They put it in a safety deposit, they put it somewhere, they put it somewhere safe. You ever heard of bank robbers, right? That stuff still happens. 
we just don't hear about it because it's kind of bad PR for the business. Put it somewhere safe. Jesus is saying, give it to me. I'll hold on to it for you. Jesus says a little further, you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. But you can send it ahead if you want. Do good and lend, expecting nothing, not to get anything back. We talked about this a bit upstairs in the, in the, in the liturgy sermon upstairs. I just mentioned it again. My dad gave me the best advice in the world. He says to me, never do something expecting to get a thank you from somebody. Because if you don't get a thank you, you're going to be upset. You're going to regret that you did it. Do something that you want to do because you want to do it. Not because, not because you're expecting to get something in return. When you're expecting to get something in return, you make yourself the slave of that person. They say, thank you, you're happy. And then they don't say, thank you, you're upset. No, dude, gratitude is good for the soul. Gratitude is good for them. If they say thank you, it's good for them. It's not good for you. It's good for your ego and make you proud and arrogant and pompous and nobody that anybody likes, right? So it's not good for you. It's good for them. So if they say thank you, it's good for them. It's on them. If they don't, it's on them as well. You do what you want to do because you want to do it. If you want to do good for somebody, you go right on ahead and you do it. And your reward for doing it is being allowed to do the good that you wanted to do. You wanted to do something and you got to do it. There's your reward. Whoever you're waiting for a reward from is the person who may or may not give you that reward. Jesus is saying, ask for the reward from me instead of asking for it from people. I will always give it to you. Lend, expecting nothing. It's just good common sense advice. It's just good common sense. You don't have to believe Jesus is the son of God. He died, he rose from the dead, he's savior of the world. I believe all of that. And I think it's extremely important. But to get benefit from this, you don't need to believe all of that. You need to believe in common sense. You need to be a human being. Jesus was the ultimate anthropologist. He says, don't take, he tells his disciples, don't take any money with you, a beggar's bag, an extra pair of shoes. Don't waste time along the way. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality for a workman is worthy of his wages. He's telling his disciples, it's taken care of. You don't have to take your lunch with you because I've already prepared somebody in the town you're going to who's going to invite you over for lunch. Just show up on time. Just show up before lunch. Don't waste your time talking to people left and right as you go. Just head, head straight to your destination. He's giving his disciples good advice. He's not, he's not trying to be a stick in the mud. He's just giving them good advice. Travel light. I am the worst person at traveling light. I get on every, every flight, whether I'm going to somewhere for like for half a day or if I'm going for 10 years, I get on every plane with as much luggage as they'll allow me and then some, right? And, and, I, sit, and I always end up sitting next, next to somebody who, who gets on the plane with like a novel and they're about 30 pages to the end. They finish reading it and they leave it in the seat back pocket. They came on with a book and they left with nothing. And I'm so jealous. One day I decided, you know what? I'm gonna do that. 
I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna go on the on the plane with my with my iPad. Then I realized, no, you know what? If I get on with my iPad, I can't leave it. I'm gonna do the leave it in the seat pack pocket thing. I wanna try that, right? So I got on there. Literally, I printed out a couple of articles for myself. I read them on the plane, stuck them in the seat back, and I walked out. Felt like a king. I was like, wow. This is what it feels like not to have like a 40 pound backpack and a, and a carry on and then a shoulder bag, a messenger bag and like you're carrying all this stuff and you feel like the abominable snowman. Jesus is just giving us good advice. He's telling us travel right. You're working with me. You're working for me. I've got people. I know people. I've taken care of it. I prepared your lunch and I prepared your dinner and I prepared friends and I prepared people to receive you. Just go. Just show up with your toothbrush and your shoes and your underwear, you're good, <laughs> right? You're good, your bare necessities, you're good. I'll take care of you. He says, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. It's just good advice, it's not theological. So in the time of the enlightenment, there was a huge assault on Christianity by people like Voltaire and Diderot, and they were saying that that Christianity is all superstition and it's irrational and all this stuff. And the response to it was a whole bunch of philosophers and other academics answering them and saying, you know what? Jesus was the ultimate teacher of common sense. One of them was Sir Isaac Newton. Listen to what he says. He says the most beautiful system of the sun and planets and comets is not to be attributed to some blind metaphysical necessity, but could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being who governs all things, not as the soul of the world, but as the Lord over all. He says everything is too perfect and too beautiful to just to just be by chance. Basically, he's giving the argument of what's oftentimes called intelligent design, as far as I understand it. Jesus says, come to me, hear what I got to say, because it's just good common sense advice. It will make your life better. It really will. But it'll only make your life better if you do it. If you get insider information that the real estate market is about to crash, but that these two tech companies are like about to explode in growth. And the wisest thing to do would be to like sell your property like a fire sale and move your, 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 your assets from real estate to, to, to securities, to stocks. Funny that stocks are called securities, but anyways, right? And you hear this and you're like, wow, man, I'm so lucky to have this insider information. This is awesome. This is great. Like, you know, everybody's gonna tank and I'm gonna like skyrocket. This is fantastic, right? And you, 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 you came, you listened, and you appreciated, but you didn't do anything. What's gonna happen to your assets? They're gonna tank, right? It's not, God is not like, Jesus is not like petty. Like if you don't do what I tell you, I'm not gonna give you the carrot. It's not like that, it's like gravity. Don't drop the thing into the water. The electronic device will stop working. You drop it into water, it's gonna stop working. Like, it's not, it's not rocket science. Jesus tells us everything in this world is temporary. So, if you have things that are precious, send them to the kingdom where things are eternal. They'll last forever. He's just giving us common sense advice. What, what is God gonna do with Canadian currency in heaven? He can't spend it there, but he's keeping it for you. 
right? Whatever it is that's precious to you. It doesn't have to be money or gold. It could be your, could be your family, it could be your children, it could be whatever, whatever that may be. St. John the Apostle says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Jesus is, is so kind and gentle. In Deuteronomy, there's this beautiful, beautiful verse that says, In the wilderness where I saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way until you have reached this place. They're standing on the banks of the river Jordan and they're about to cross into the promised land. They've been wandering around for 40 years. And Moses tells them, the Lord is telling you, I carried you like a father carries his son. I carried you all the way through the wilderness. Jesus tells us that God takes care of the lilies of the field he feeds the sparrow. Why wouldn't he do the same for you? Why wouldn't he do the same for you? He's giving us good advice for us to come, to listen, and to do it. He's giving us a rock in the middle of an ocean, in the middle of a storm that we can found ourselves on. There's a song called, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. I can stand on this rock because it's not shifting sand, right? Speaking of sand, there's a beautiful poem which is founded on, on the, that verse from Deuteronomy 131, I carried you in the wilderness, called, called Footprints. You might have heard it, where this person is looking you know, and, at, at, at the beach and they feel like they've been walking along this beach you know, along the shoreline and it represents their life. And they look and they see that there are times where there are two sets of footprints, theirs and the Lord's, and another time, other times where there's just theirs. And they say, and they look carefully at the, at the times it was just theirs. They, they, they say, those are the times that were darkest in their life. It's almost like when things got bad, when, when bad news came, all of a sudden there was only one set of footprints, what happened? And they ask God, what happened? How come, how come there's only one set of footprints in the dark times of my life? And Jesus answers and he says, because in those moments, I was carrying you. I was carrying you like a father carries his son or his daughter through the wilderness. I was carrying you. We started off with Helen Keller saying that Maybe security is just a superstition. Maybe it doesn't really exist. She also says, she also says that the best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or touched. They can only be felt with your hearts. Let's take a moment and close our eyes and think about the truth, the truth of God that we can found our lives in. Think about the things that make us insecure and what's the truth? What's the truth that relates to that specific insecurity? How are we today gonna come to Jesus? How are we gonna listen to what he has to say? And how are we gonna put it into practice? Three simple steps. Identify your insecurity and then come to Jesus and see what he has to say about it. And then put it into practice. And let your life and mine be founded on the rock of his truth.
Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Lord, you know above all else how to speak truth into our lives, Lord. Not random truth about random things and about how many, about how many comets there are, or how many planets there are, or, or other random pieces of trivia. But you, Lord, you know how to speak truth in our lives and the things that matter to us the most. We're asking you, Lord, from all of our hearts to speak truth into our lives, to open our hearts to you, to open our minds to you, Lord, to hear what you have to say about the things that matter to us. And then, Lord, give us the courage, give us the endurance, the stamina, give us the hope that allows us to put your words into practice and to make with you, Lord, hand in hand with you, a new reality in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, the intercessions and prayers of all your saints, Lord, we're asking you, Lord, through all their prayers to effect a real change in our lives today. Hear us, Lord, as we pray to you, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And now the love of God the Father, the grace of his only begotten Son, the gift and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, and may the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. Have a great afternoon, and we'll see you uh, again soon. God bless you.